Welcome to Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam, a podcast about navigating adolescence without losing our minds. Each week, I guide you around the teenage landmines with practical tips, simple solutions, and words of encouragement. I'm your host, Dr. Cam. Let's get on with the show. Hello, Calm Parents. Welcome back to another episode of Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam. I'm your host, Dr. Cam. And today I'm talking with best-selling author and executive coach, Dr. Lois Frankel. And I'm personally very excited about this because I have read your books. Um, The name Dr. Lois Frankel has become practically synonymous with empowering women in the workplace. She is the author of the best-selling business Bible for women, Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office and all the other books in the Nice Girl series. Dr. Frankel is a pioneer in the field of executive coaching and a sought-after international keynote speaker. She is now turned toward helping parents to raise self-confident daughters and is working on a book on the topic. Welcome, Dr. Frankel or Lois. I am so happy to have you here. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Kim. It's a pleasure to be with you. I cannot wait to hear about the research you've been doing and where you've been going. But first, for those few people that don't know your story yet, how did you get into this whole focus of empowering women in the workforce? Yeah, you know, I was um, an executive coach. I don't do that much coaching anymore, but I still have my business, Corporate Coaching International, and we do still do coaching. I just don't do that much of it myself anymore. But, um, you know, I was doing coaching. And, you know, it's, it's always a moment, I think, that sparks an inspiration. And in this case, I was coaching a woman who was a vice president of manufacturing for a company. And it, she told me something she was doing. And I looked at her and I said, honey, you have to quit being a girl. And at that moment, all of the stupid things I've seen women do because of how they were raised, mm-hmm. not because they're not smart. And that has nothing to do with it. Um, it was really because of how they were raised and their socialization and the messages that they still get. And so on the, on the airplane home from her, she was in Herndon, Virginia, and I live in Los Angeles. I outlined all of what I was calling quit being a girl. Because that's what I said to her, you know, uh-huh. hey, you got to quit being a girl. And it wasn't that hard to come up with at the time. It was 101 mistake, unconscious mistakes women make. And then when I sold the book to uh, Warner Books, they changed the title to Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. And I said, Dr. Cam, you realize I'm going to spend the rest of my life explaining that you can be nice and you can be successful. And, and sure enough, that's exactly you know, People tell me that they haven't bought my books because they thought it, they were going to say, they couldn't be nice and nothing could be further from the truth. You've read the books, you know that. Yeah. And in fact, it's all about how to be nice and still have authority, right? Mm-hmm. And still show up that way. And so right there, you've already led into why you're now focusing on girls. My guess is you've spent all this time helping women that have already been culturally programmed to function the way we are. Let's stop culturally programming them. Let's go back into when they're growing up and set them up to succeed right then. Am I right? Yes, you got it. Um, you know, and it was actually kind of twofold. First of all, I- I'm calling this in my head, at least, the prequel to Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. 
And because if you do these things with your daughter, she is more likely to develop confidence and to get the corner office and to avoid making mistakes that I talk about in the Nice Girls books, whether it's about money or, or it's about careers or, or, or with other people. And so that was one thing. And then the other thing was I kept getting asked by particularly moms, what books can I read to help raise a self-confident daughter? Mm. And I actually couldn't come up with any that I thought were comprehensive. There's definitely some good books out there. Caddy Kay's book. And, you know, there's a couple, you know, Raising Confident Girls. Um, and there's a couple of others, but they weren't comprehensive. And I, I, I didn't think they looked at it from the long haul. So I thought, well, maybe I need to write one more book. I thought I was done writing books, to tell you the truth. So now you've got one and you've done a lot of research um, and really gone out there. So I, I can see that it's going to be extremely comprehensive. What are some of the things you see as the main problems that are really getting in our way as women or as girls in our self-confidence? Yeah, what parents are telling me uh, is that there's a couple of things. One is social media, right? Is that how does a... I'm, no, I'm going to say normal, and I know there's no such thing as normal, but a, a, a normal girl compete with photoshopped images of other girls, maybe their age or women that they aspire to be. They don't get that these are photoshopped, that these people don't look this way all the time. Um, and so, you know, I think the number one thing is social media and what it suggests to a girl that she should be like and look like and sound like, um, you know, that's really hard. You know, I cert I don't know about you, but I certainly didn't grow up with social media. Um, although I was, talking, <laughs> I was talking to a friend about it the other day, we were, we were taking a long walk and um, I was saying, you know, the number two thing that I found was that bullying is a huge thing. You know, how, how girls bully each other and boys bully girls too. Yeah. And I said, you know, again, that was something that growing up, there was bullying, but thousands of people didn't see it on the internet. You know, I said, we had something that used to be, and I never had one, and I never, I don't know if I ever was in one, but we had these things called slam books. And I think the girls who would be bullies today created these slam books and said really nasty things about people. And again, I never had one, I never saw one, I just knew they existed. Uh, because I was a nice girl. I didn't do those things. <laughs> um, so, so that was number two. <clears throat> this whole thing about, um, about bullying and how, and, you know, what do you do about that? And then the um, a third thing is uh, representation. And not seeing girls who look like you. Mm. So, and that can be ethnicity. Mm -hmm. It can be because of disabilities. It, it can be just because of looks. It could be weight. It could be any number of things. Um, I was talking to one of my neighbors about this because now I talk to everybody about it, right? You know, you know how it is. You're writing a book. It's, it's like it's all you think about. When you only have a hammer, everything's a nail, right? And so I was talking to one of my neighbors, and she's from Pakistan, and she sends her daughter to a private school um, here in Pasadena. And the little girl came home and she was so upset. She said, mommy, they were asking me questions like, 
you know, do we have toilets that flush in Pakistan? And, and she was really made to feel less than, that she was different from. And that's really hard when you don't see kids who look like you. Um, and so those were three of the most important things that I found in terms of what the challenges are. And, and I think most people would agree that those are the top challenges, social media, bullying, and um, representation. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that with social media, you have access to people all over the world, but yet you're not getting representation still. So you're just getting more of the fake photos and more. So it almost becomes to the point where now I see you see so many of them that you believe that it just doesn't exist anywhere in the world, right? Not just in your neighborhood. But you mean, you mean people like you doesn't exist anywhere in the world? Is that what you mean? Well, yeah, it's like if you're getting this false representation, but not only in your community, but now you're getting a false representation. Your dog is so precious. Um, <laughs> but in full press, you know, you're seeing all these people on social media and none of them represent you. Like mm -hmm. that's even more of a, whoa, I don't exist anywhere. Right. Yeah. There's no one like me anywhere and everyone in the world looks like this exactly exactly and that's really hard yeah um you know and i, I and you know i was talking to another uh, uh, uh child psychologist and she was saying that and in particularly and she works particularly with african-american girls and she was saying particularly there you're not seeing the role modeling and if anything, it's like people avoid those role, role modelings, powerful black women, as if it'll take something away from someone else. And so, you know, they're just not seeing um, who they can be. You know, and it's the old, if you can see it, you can be it. And if you can't see it, it's going to be a little bit harder, isn't it? Yeah. And, and you're almost hiding it because I think there's a lot of shame for not being what you think the, the perfect ideal is, you try to hide all the pieces that aren't. And so you see all these filters and all of these, you know, everyone trying to adapt and change how they're appearing online too. Um, exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, and part of that is the competition. And this is what she brought up that I thought was so good. And this is why these interviews with people like you and with her, you know, are, are so valuable to me. Um, as she was saying, you know, it's also part of a Western culture thing mm. that in this culture, we're so competitive, whether it's about how you look or, you know, how much money you have, or, you know, one of the things this little girl from Pakistan said that it, the girls that, well, I don't know, that one girl or several girls asked her about, well, when you flew here, did you fly coach or did you fly um, first class? It's like, well, where would that come from, right? <laughs> but that's part of our Western culture yeah. as opposed to, opposed to other cultures where, you know, the total nail gets hammered down. Um, and so here we're so competitive and, and it becomes very hard and we're competitive. We have our kids being competitive at such an early age and it's really not healthy for them. No, especially when we have decided what we value when it comes to competition because some there's some things that we could value that would be great like oh, who's the kindest who's the most generous like we don't value those we value who's the prettiest 
who's the smartest, who is the wealthiest, right? So I think it Mm -hmm. also is where our competition lies, takes us down pretty negative roads. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why it's so important that those formative years from birth to probably six or seven, I mean, that's how early you're going to help a child develop their self-esteem, right? And that's why those years are so important. And, you know, before this started, before you started taping, it's like you were saying that um, when it comes to teenagers, now, we think teenagers have all the skills we, they need, and they frustrate us when they don't. But we didn't give them the skills, number one. And in my opinion, the number one thing for girls in developing confidence, uh, we talked about the challenges, but, you know, how do you do it? Yeah. Uh, is role modeling, mm. right? You have to be the model for your daughter. You have to walk the talk. You have to be the one that shows her all the things you just mentioned. What about kindness? Right? Does she see kindness come from you? What about intelligence and verbalize, not being afraid to verbalize it? Does she see that coming from you? Or does she see you hiding your light under a bushel basket? So, um, so much of that is important so early so that by the time they get to be teens, um, the work is done. You know, put the work in on the front end. And then, as you as you said, and I you know heard you say, and then the back end gets a little bit easier. That we make it too hard, That's but we right. make it too hard because we didn't put the work in on the front end. We and I think we try to. I think that's that's where we get stumbled up because I think parents very much want to build self confidence into their kids, and they want to set them up. But I think we we kind of stumble on how to do that effectively. And a lot of times the way we go about it actually is counter and, and builds in thought processes and mindsets that are actually in the opposite of what we're trying to do. So how do we as parents, no matter what age, and I think we were also talking, if your kid is older than six, that's fine. Yes. It's never too late to start this ever. Mm-hmm. So what do we do and how do we model and show up in a way that builds self-confidence? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, number one, in the new book, when it's published and it's, I'm not trying to push it because it's not, a, I haven't even found a publisher for it yet. I mean, I am really in the early stages. Um, and it was kind of out of my comfort zone because, you know, I'm known as a, an executive coach. My entire career has been spent in human resources um, so it really took a lot of work to kind of get up to speed on this. Um, but in, in, in the first section of the book, Act Like a Role Model, I have a self-inventory that I ask parents to take. You know, to what degree do you exhibit these behaviors? For example, um, when you disagree with someone, are you able to disagree in a way that doesn't put the other person down, but also doesn't stifle your own voice? Mm. Do you do that kind of thing? When um, the bill comes to a table, do you reach for it along with other people or do you expect someone else to reach for and pay the bill? Uh, Because to me, finances have to also be something you factor in very early. Um, Things like uh, if if you're in a restaurant and somebody uh, delivers something to you that wasn't as you ordered it, do you say, oh, this is awful and just eat it? 
Or do you politely call the waiter over and say, you know, excuse me, this wasn't quite what I ordered. Uh, I'd like to um, uh, have an exchange. Mm -hmm. Or if your mother or mother-in-law come over, do you correct them when they say things to your daughter that are inappropriate? This is a huge problem. There was something in the... Um, there was something in the New York Times about this recently, too, about uh, how family members, you know, you could be doing all the right things, and then you get family members who undo it, if you will. So, for example, I was talking to my 11-year-old niece, and I said, you know, how are things at school these days with boys and girls? She said, you know, it's really fine. It's at home that's a challenge, and I, and I was surprised at first. And she said, it's not like my parents. They tell me I can do anything. But then my grandmother comes over and she says things like, um, you can do anything, but don't be too smart because you want to make sure you get married. Now, this is 2021, right? Um, or the woman in a, I was doing a keynote. It was an older woman. And she said, you know, when I told my parents I wanted to be a uh, psychologist, my brother, my brother was there and said, oh, great, now you'll never get married. You know, that you can't be too smart. So I think as a parent, you also have to advocate for your daughter in front of your daughter, right? Yeah. Not, not, not just going to take them aside and say something. She has to see that you are her advocate and this is how you do it. And you may say something like, you know, in this house, we believe people can do whatever they want. And so she, they need to see things like that. You know, it was interesting because I heard Glennon Doyle interviewed by Brene Brown the other day. Hmm. Uh, and I'm sure you've read Untamed. Oh, yes. I, you know, it, it was my niece who told me, you have to read Untamed. And then I read it. And I thought, holy cow, this is a very powerful book. Uh, but anyway, she was being interviewed, and this one line stuck with me all day, and it was the moment we stop, stop being dutiful daughters, we start being responsible parents. Mm. And I think that's very true, because if you are living according to your parents' rules, and I mean, let's face it, that was the whole basis of all the Nice Girls books. Yeah. A nice girl is someone who acts according to the rules she was taught in childhood yeah. was appropriate for little girls. That's what a nice girl is. It's not somebody who's not nice. It's someone who hasn't stepped into her adulthood, into her womanhood. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're still acting like that nice little girl you were taught to be in childhood, then your daughter sees that. They absorb everything. And they are gonna and they are gonna model that behavior. So these are just a few of the things I think that, that moms have to do. Parents have to do, not just moms, yeah. parents have to oh, do. Oh, yeah. I mean, I see this from both. And I think this is requiring a lot of self-reflection, but it's also, you know, I think some of these things that you're saying are so built into our psyche that we don't even notice them. And mm -hmm. I think there's just things that we do and the way we're supposed to behave, you know, women are, you know, supposed to be more quiet and ladylike and some, you know, and I just, you know, we're not supposed to speak out. And I think some of these sound so old fashioned when you talk about it, but yet yeah. we still behave that way. We still apologize for everything. I mean, we might not even be there and we still apologize. Like this is just, we don't even notice that we do this. And then our kids are learning from us. 
Um, exactly. You say it's so, so old-fashioned, and in some ways I agree with you. But then why are young people writing to me about, oh, my, I read Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office, and I do every mistake in that yeah. book. I mean, these are 20-year-olds writing to me and saying, I, I do this. Yeah. And so, yeah. And you know what? We all fall prey to it at times. Uh, my, my neighbor's granddaughter was over the other day, and she had gotten so tall, and she was so lovely. She, maybe she's 10 years old, but I hadn't seen her in a little while. I said, oh, my, you've gotten so tall and so beautiful. You could be a model. And as soon as it popped out of my mouth, I kicked myself. You know, she, both her parents are doctors. She's, she's not going to be a model, and she doesn't have to be a model. And I said, and you could be a model? Or you could be a beautiful doctor or a beautiful attorney. And, you know, it's kind of like I covered it up, I think. But but that's because that comes so naturally to us mm -hmm. when it comes to little girls, right? Yeah. Well, and I think right there now you're going into why social media has become such a problem. Because we still tell little girls that their value is on their looks. We mm -hmm. still say that we still focus so much on beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And we do it so often that it becomes, that's where my value is. But now I could go online and find millions of people that are far more beautiful than I am, which means I don't have a whole lot of value because compared to the rest of the world, I, I don't even, you know, so we're not learning how to value our uniqueness and who we are because we have very specific things that we see as valuable. And if you're not those specific things and you don't, and even those specific things, you're going to find people that are better at them. And so mm -hmm. when I talk to teens all the time that just feel like they are not enough. They are uh, just not enough. Exactly. And, and that's one of the reasons why it's so important from an early age that parents find their children's gifts, right? What are they good at? What do they love to do? Um, you know, I think all too often parents want to steer a kid in a particular direction. You know, maybe she shows a little interest in painting. It's like, oh, you need to be like the next Grandma Moses or the next, you know, Cassatt uh, or is it Cassatt? Yeah, Mary Cassatt? Yeah. I'm trying to think of a, a, a woman, a famous woman artist, or Frida Kahlo. Frida, you need to be, Frida Kahlo. Right? You need to be that next person. Well, maybe she just really enjoyed it, you know, and you don't, you don't have to push her in any direction. But there is a wonderful book that I've been re recommending to parents for many years, and it's called Nurtured by Nature. Mm. And I'm sure you're familiar with mm -hmm. it. And it's by Tiger and Tiger, T-I-E-G-E-R and Tiger. And what it suggests is that confidence comes from um, encouragement to do the things you're good at, that you're interested in, that you love, yeah. right? And when you do those and you do those, what well, the things that you naturally do well, and you, you, you do those and you get reinforcement for them, that builds confidence, yes. right? And that's what we need to be doing more of with kids, not just giving them a trophy for showing up. Um, I don't know how you feel about trophy kids, but, uh, oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, yeah. the thing that I feel bad, though, is poor trophy kids get the hard rap when they're not the ones that ask for the trophies. The people yeah. that are bragging on them are the ones that gave them the trophies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we did them no service no. by making sure every kid got a trophy. 
regardless of how they performed, because that's not how the real world is. But as you said, if somebody is very kind and shows kindness at school, I would recognize that. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, there's no grades for that. So it right. gets written over, right? It's like, we focus so much on what we can measure. And I think that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons people are, you know, parents glom on to these grades is because I can tell, I know an A is good and I know uh -huh. a D is not. So I'm comfortable with that, but it measures such a small piece of what makes our what makes up our kids, such mm -hmm. a teeny, tiny, teeny, tiny piece. And we're <laughs> missing so much of what makes up our kids and valuing what they value about themselves. And I think that's where we're, we're doing them a disservice. Yeah. And that's that competitive thing, right? Yeah. You know, an A is good, but a D is not. Well, it's not about uh, blaming and shaming. It's about, wow, it looks like that must have been really hard for you. You know, let's take a look at it and see. And that's the whole thing about um, instilling a learning mindset that everything should be about learning Oh, what happened there? You know, not you just didn't try hard enough. If you try harder, you can do this. Hey, look, no matter how hard I tried, getting trigonomics wasn't something that I could do. It wasn't my strength. Um, I wasn't going to use it the rest of my life. Um, yeah. and, and the things that I was good at, you know, my family didn't particularly value. Uh, which were things like um, I love to write and do things like that. It's like, you know, you're never going to get a job with that stuff. Got to have a profession, right? And so, um, and so I think we need to kind of, as you said, uh, shift our thinking yeah. about what's going on with these kids and not use our lens for either how we were treated or even how we would want to be treated but rather how that child wants to be treated. And when you turn it around like that, it, things really, things will turn around. And you know that probably from um, working with teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. When teens feel like they're accepted, I think all people, all human beings, let's just be real. Like human be teens are human beings. Um, when human beings feel accepted for who they are, and valued for what they bring to the table, they are more self-confident and they do show up bigger and have a voice because now I'm confident in my voice. When you feel like you're being measured against all these other people that are always going to be better than you, then you start shrinking. Mm -hmm. You know, you start getting shameful and ashamed and you start shrinking and hiding. And mm -hmm. I think we see that a lot in our kids where if they don't feel like they're measuring up, that doesn't encourage them to try harder. It encourages them to shrink in and withdraw. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in that process, I'm sure you found this, is shrinking inward and having to cover up. Uh, one easy way to do that is through drugs, alcohol, you know, and other forms of um, self-destructive behaviors yeah. because it covers up the essence of who you are, right? It does. And I think a lot of times we look at those behaviors as, you know, this kid's a bad kid when really this kid's a hurting kid. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they turn to that for a reason. Why? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting because there is a corollary here between parenting and leadership. 
right? Mm -hmm. Because I always tell leaders, when your follower isn't doing what you want them to be doing, don't look at them, look at you. That the finger should point to yourself. That obviously I did something wrong. I either didn't explain it right. I over-delegated. They weren't ready for this assignment yet. You know, whatever it is, you look at yourself. And it's the same thing in parenting. When something goes wrong, the first thing to look at is yourself. I'm not saying blame yourself, but rather analyze, okay, what am I doing and what can I be doing differently that would get me the result that I want, yeah. right? And what a great thing to model for your kids. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not showing up. I, I mean, I'm not getting what I'm expecting. So instead of blaming everyone else, which we can't change anyone else. We go, okay, where am I accountable? What can I change? And that's empowering because I can change me. That's mm -hmm. the one thing I can change. And so when your kids see you adapting and you adjusting and you changing, they learn that they can do the same thing. And they, instead of them learning to blame everyone else too. And when you're in a relationship no matter what that relationship is and both sides blame the other person nothing's getting fixed exactly nothing. exactly that's a stalemate yeah it's definitely i see a lot of that in parents and teens lots of stalemates mm -hmm. so i love this conversation so much and i i cannot wait to to read your book so what what can people look out for for that and where can people find you now lois yeah, people can find me at my website, drloisfrankel.com, and I have a bunch of self-inventories on there. I don't have this parent one yet. I'll have to put that up. I hadn't thought of it till just now. I don't have this parenting one up yet, but, you know, in terms of um, uh, nice girls don't get rich, nice girls don't get the corner office, nice girls just don't get, there's, I've got a number of self-inventories that are self-scoring, and yeah. you can say, gee, what areas could I use a little tweaking in? Also, I encourage people to connect with me on LinkedIn because I'm always posting something that I think will be of interest. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, up until now, it's mostly been about career things or workplace issues uh, or money. I just started a um, whole series on money and how important it is to uh, really focus on your financial health, um, something that women don't do enough. And so then I'll eventually start posting things about parenting. And so it's a good place to just get these little nuggets. And it's not always my stuff. Sometimes it's an article I saw that I thought is really valuable. Or sometimes it's even just a meme that yeah, I think, oh, yeah, this is really powerful. So um, that's where people can find me. Perfect. And before we go, any parting words of encouragement for parents with teenagers? You know, what I would say is it's never too late to rewrite the script. Mm. that do not look at yourself and blame yourself or shame yourself or, you know, you wouldn't do that to your kid. Don't do it to yourself. You know, again, as a coach, what I always look at, not so much backwards, but forwards, which is what's not working and what do I need to work on? And how will that help me get what I want? And if what you want are healthy kids, emotionally healthy, physically healthy kids, it doesn't happen because you do any one thing. It happens, you know, there's a hundred little things. And just be parent consciously. I think that's what I would say, is be conscious of your behavior. And um, it's never too late to rewrite your script. It's not at all. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Lois. I'm so grateful you could join us today. Dr. Cam, thank you for the invitation. 
I appreciate it. Absolutely. And thank you, parents, for taking time out of your busy day to spend with us. If you want to learn more about how to help your teen succeed, you can grab my top 10 parenting tips at askdrcam.com slash parenting tips. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode and all the helpful strategies that Dr. Frankel shared with us, please take a quick moment to rate and review. This helps other parents like you find this show. I encourage you to share it with a friend as well. Until next time, have a peaceful, positive, calm day. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today on Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam. Make sure to visit my website, www.askdrcam.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show again. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, and hey, why not share it with a friend too? Be sure to tune in to my next episode. And remember, parenting teens may not be easy, but with my help, it can be a whole lot easier than this.